This is the WFG National Title Insider Report, featuring industry experts, thought leadership, and what's trending to keep you informed and ahead of the market. In this download, WFG founder and executive chairman Patrick Stone joins us to relieve concerns about a real estate bubble, reassure us about inventory, and offer insight into market direction over the next 12 to 18 months. Well, Patrick, thanks for joining us. It's been uh, over a year since I've seen you and I guess about three months since we've talked. So there's lots to catch up on. You know, where we're at right now, I rewind back to, I think, maybe 2012, 2013 uh, conversation we had in your office where, I mean, there were foreclosures still being cleaned up. There was tons of inventory out there. And you told me at the time, you said, there's going to be a housing shortage in a few years. And I kind of laughed at you at the time. And, you know, you showed me the numbers of household formation and kind of walked me through it. And I still left that day thinking, this guy's out of his mind. There's no way this is going to happen. And yet here we are eight, nine years later. That's exactly what's happened. And I had to, you know, revisit that and give you a pat on the back for that prediction because it came true. And then some, I mean, we are seeing, uh, you know, obviously tight inventory like we've never, ever seen before. Yeah, what happened with the Great Recession is basically we killed the first-time homebuyer market. Essentially, the economic damage took a long time to recover from, and consequently, first-time homebuyers weren't in the market. Typically, uh, household formation uh, results in people around 32 years of age on average buying their first home. That changed because of the Great Recession. Consequently, builders did not build first-time homebuyer subdivisions. In other words, low-cost, massive subdivisions. And uh, that just wasn't part of their their inventory for a long, long time. Now, uh, in the last year, some major national home builders have started uh, first-time homebuyer subdivisions, but it will take three to five years to get back to any sort of supply-demand normality. And uh, what has happened because of the pandemic is we've accelerated the desirability of home ownership, uh, and consequently, we have a massive shortage right now. Okay, the next big question everybody's asking is, are we in a bubble? I know there's a lot of people out there who lived through uh, the Great Recession, uh, lost homes, short sales, foreclosures, etc., Uh, This, in many ways, feels like it, but I want to get your take. No, not at all. What we are experiencing is a classic supply-demand imbalance. This is not caused by uh, risky loans poor credit or risky products. The Great Recession and uh, you know is often blamed on real estate, actually should be blamed on Wall Street uh, because they securitize junk mortgages. And uh, before the bubble burst for the Great Recession, we had product and credit risk at extraordinarily high levels. Um, you know, we had subprime loans and uh, all you had to do is be able to sign your name to get a loan. So we had bad products, uh, we had credit risk. I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, We don't have that this time. Uh, Credit has been tight. Uh, Products have been tight. Uh, We haven't seen any real garbage on the market or or just extremely little garbage on the market. So consequently, home ownership right now is in the hands of people that had good credit and the products that they uh, used for mortgages are solid products. Now, will we have some foreclosures? Yes. Uh, forbearance now, I think, is down to 4.2 or 4.3%. Uh, we are going to have some foreclosures, but this will not be 
anywhere close to what we saw during the Great Recession. We saw 3.7 million foreclosures in the two years following the bubble bursting then. Um, I will be surprised if we get anywhere above 500,000 foreclosures this time, probably closer to 300,000 foreclosures. And a lot of lot of efforts being made to extend forbearance or to work with people so that they can pay back missed payments when they sell. I mean, there's a lot of flexibility right now because the underlying quality of the loans and the people who borrowed the money is very good. You know, everybody says this time is different. There's even a book uh, to that effect. This time is different when it comes to economic cycles. So, uh, you know, what's different? You just kind of talked about that. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of people are concerned about interest rates. And, you know, it's math, right? I mean, you you look at interest rates at 3%. And let's just say, uh, let's pick the Seattle market. And a million-dollar loan, 3% PITI is going to be around 5000 5200 uh, depending on taxes and insurance. You, you take that rate to 6%, and the buying power drops 30% down to about $700,000 uh, to keep the, the debt-to-income ratio under 50%. Uh, so let's talk about interest rates. Where are we at there? Is there any concern with inflation, et cetera? and we'll get to that in a sec, of interest rates rising uh, and, and killing this off, or will it be a gradual increase? I think it'll be a gradual increase. Uh, typically, uh, interest rates, uh, when they rise rapidly, it is because of an extreme economic imbalance, and we do not have an imbalance caused by the economy. This has been an artificially induced recession. Uh, the recovery reflects that. You, know, you just saw the... Uh, the uh, numbers that just came out, uh, this has been a very, very strong recovery because basically what we did is we artificially induced a recession. So we don't have the same mechanics at play here. Will we have some interest rate increase? I suspect we will. I don't think it'll be rapid. I'll be surprised if we see mortgage rates over three and a half percent this year, maybe four percent next year, maybe in uh, 2023 or 2024, we get up to five percent. But that would be that would be surprising to me if it happened very quickly. We do not have the same underlying fundamental bubble burst that we had like with the Great Recession or typically when rates spike. Um, One of the things that's happened here that, uh, if I may ramble just a little bit, Please do. We are seeing <laughs> we are seeing uh, some economic imbalances that are causing prices to go up in certain areas. A lot of speculation about inflation. Uh, there will be a small inflationary uh, burst here or increase here. I don't think it'll be protracted. I don't think it'll be severe. Uh, but there's a rebalancing because supply chains have been disrupted because certain products. I mean, like you talk about computer chips. Uh, you know, I mean, geez, it's it's. Uh, the, Companies can't get chips now to build things. So we do have some imbalances. Uh, we have ships being stuck in the Suez Canal. We have a lot, a lot of issues that are causing some disruption. But these are not fundamental long-term problems. They will be worked out. The thing that, in my opinion, that will keep inflation from accelerating or interest rates going up rapidly uh, is that the rest of the world is not recovering as fast as the U.S. Uh, and whether people realize it or not, a lot of our uh, economic activity is based on the global economic activity. I mean, the U.S. is really the leading leading country in terms of economic participation globally. And we're going to take another year for a lot of countries to get back to anywhere near normal. So I don't see inflation accelerating rapidly. Okay, that's reassuring. You know, gas prices have gone up. Food prices have gone up a little bit at the grocery store. In housing, obviously, lumber has gone up exponentially. So you say all that's going to calm down maybe toward the end of the year? 
Well, this is a supply and demand in the in the distribution channels and the supply will uh, adjust. Right. So I think that by the end of the year, we'll be getting in a much better place in terms of these uh, price disruptions caused by supply disruptions. I don't see that lasting. Um, you know, we'll see what happens, but I'm not overly concerned about it right now. OK, that's uh, reassuring. So the next thing to talk about is uh, the debt. And we got there by. Obviously, go. Let's go back. Let's go back ten years plus to QE one, QE two. Uh, we'll talk about stimulus and how it's helped us get through this pandemic. Obviously, uh, that's been huge. But there's a lot of debt out there, and then as the story goes, we will have to reflate or raise interest rates uh, to accelerate the payoff of that debt. Talk about that storyline. How realistic is that? Is that what's going to happen? How concerned are you about the amount of debt we have now? Well, I don't like the, you know, you've known me a long time and I'm fiscally conservative. I don't like a lot of debt. I do think that most of the debt or the large amount of debt we have now, especially the recent debt, has been financed at low rates. And consequently, the cost of uh, servicing that debt is not much different than it was the cost of servicing debt was two years ago, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. we've, we've added significantly to the amount of federal debt. We've added significantly to corporate debt. The drain right now is not that high because the interest rates are low. Uh, if we do get a surge in interest rates and we have to refinance debt at higher levels, that will be problematic. I am concerned about it. I do uh, hope that we start... Uh, that on a federal level that we could increasing the debt. And as the economy grows, the percentage of debt to GDP declines. So if we didn't increase debt for about 15 years, the percentage would go way down as the economy expanded and we would be fine. Uh, Corporate debt, that can turn over fairly quickly. There are corporations that are a little bit bubbly right now and and they will probably go away. But uh, that shouldn't be so significant as to impact the overall economy. So I'm worried, I'm not terrified. That's good to hear. Um, I mean, in, in on the positive side, had they not done anything, I mean, we learned our lesson, right? Uh, as, a, as a nation, right? Uncle Sam learned his lesson from the Great Recession. QE1, QE2, uh, Bernanke, great job, right? And, and I think, and I want to get your take on this, we obviously, this time around, saw, the, saw it coming, totally different scenario, but they knew they had to do something, and had they not done it, it could have been a real problem, right? Oh, absolutely. I've been delighted with how aggressive the Fed has been. I'm delighted that we have, uh, that we uh, aggressively tried to stimulate the economy so that we didn't have protracted unemployment. I mean, it's been bad. I mean, it's been, let's be real honest, there's a lot of people that are still out of work, so it is bad. Uh, could have been a lot worse. So yes, I'm happy with what happened. We were real slow on the Great Recession and consequently it took us eight years to recover. So this time, uh, hopefully we uh, will get back on our feet fairly quickly. Yeah, you look at some sectors, obviously hospitality and restaurants and the fluctuation in these closings, everything opens up, then it gets closed back down. You're based in Oregon. You've seen it firsthand there. We're seeing Washington State, the same thing. Michigan, you go halfway around the world to India. Uh, they're being ravaged by you know another wave of COVID. Uh, this is something, obviously, we're going to be dealing with uh, <laughs> The rest of the rest of the way here, right? I mean, different variants and all sorts of stuff. Everybody says get back to normal. Hey, there's no getting back to normal, right? Well, it's um, uh, yeah. The normal will change. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And we we uh, 
You know, the the sad thing here, to be honest with you, is that uh, pandemics have plagued uh, humanity for forever. And we never seem to learn. Um, You know, if you go back and study the the information that we've gleaned and lessons learned with the uh, Spanish flu, which is misnamed uh, in 1918, there was uh, substantial statistical evidence about different approaches and how they limited infections. There were cities that had uh, mandates about uh, social uh, distancing and so forth, and they had a lot less infections than cities that didn't. We didn't learn from this and we didn't even nobody shared the information. You can blame that on the politicians. You can blame that on whoever you wanted, but we don't seem to learn. So um, we'll get over this, but uh, it'll take a little while before we completely recover. Isn't that part of the cycle of a capitalist economy, though, where, you know, I mean, you know, you get experience. Right. And the only way you get experience is by messing things up or living through things that, you know, went wrong. Right. And the next generation comes along and you can. I know you've done this. You you can impart your wisdom as much as you'd like to, you know, the younger generation, but it doesn't always stick, right? I mean, people have to live this. And then as time goes on, a century ago, it used to seem like a long time. Now it's not. But I mean, those things get forgotten, right? Yeah, I think, too, it has a lot to do with leadership. And uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get political here, but we judge leadership effectively from a long way away. So we'll we'll see how we look back on this in 10 or 20 years, but uh, leadership makes a difference. No question. Okay, let's talk uh, about the economy overall. We've uh, you know kind of done a deep dive, obviously, into interest rates and real estate and all that. Uh, it sounds to me like you're fairly optimistic that thanks to all the stimulus uh, and the economy coming back, that it's pretty positive the rest of the year. Am I, am I reading you correctly? Yeah, there'll be some disruptions the rest of the year. There'll be some starts and stops. Uh, There'll be some hiccups. But basically, we are well on our way to recovering. And I think uh, a year from now, the U.S. will be almost, uh, I mean, it will be running at a pretty good rate and uh, in a very normal manner. The economy will slow down, though, after we completely recover, in part because the rest of the world isn't going to recover as quickly, but also in part because, uh, you know, our economy probably should grow around two and a quarter to two and a half percent a year. Not the uh, not the off mentioned three percent. Now, we are a very mature economy, but we are also a global part of a global economy and a great deal of our economy is dependent on the world. So we will slow down, but I think it'll be good for a few years. Okay, that's good to hear. And that that echoes what uh, Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan Chase said, kind of that Goldilocks, uh, I think, was what he said, you know, not too hot, not too cold, kind of right in the middle and continuing to come back. So that's good to hear. And this real estate thing, back to that to wrap this up, hearing what you just shared with us and, and trying to process through that here in the 10 or 15 or 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> I mean, to hear that this will continue for another year or two, right? For people out there that are hoping to buy a new home or are just coming into the market for the first time, it's not necessarily good news, right? And I know that, you know, the headlines are hot housing market, but all of the real estate professionals out there listening to this say, well, it doesn't mean it's a healthy market, right? I mean, it's it's tough to find a home. It's, I mean, you really got to scramble. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to process through what that means because, I mean, it's going to continue to be, uh, you know, <laughs> really crazy out there. There's some variables here that probably don't get talked about, uh, Brian, if I may just... 
We have people who aren't putting their home on the market because of economic uncertainty, because they're not sure where they're going to do or where they're going to be. As the pandemic quiets down, uh, people will be more inclined to put their home on the market, move, move up. Uh, we are, uh, we were starting to see the beginnings of a move up market, which we hadn't seen in about a decade. And we were starting to see the beginnings of that prior to the pandemic. I think that will reemerge. Uh, you will see more homes go on the market next year than this year because people will be more confident, less concerned, more sure in their economic situation. The demand will be there because I do think we have overall fundamentally changed our perspective of home ownership. I don't think that's going to abate anytime soon. I think people are going to want a home. They're going to want a place that they feel safe in and that they control. Now, we have builders ramping up dramatically. So, I think two years out from now, you're going to have a, or even starting maybe next year, you will have more homes coming on the market because people are moving more homes coming on the market because building has picked up, new construction has picked up. And I think you'll see the price appreciation slow way down. Um, you know, we're going to probably see eight to 10% again this year. Uh, next year, maybe two to 5% or two to 4%. And the following year, maybe two to 3%. Historically, if you look at it, home appreciations run about 3.5, 3.6% annualized over a long period of time. And if you go back 40 years, that's about right where we are right now, even with these ups and downs, because we had a tremendous drop after the Great Recession. And uh, I'm not overly concerned about it. I think real estate transactions will continue to increase. And by this time next year, this will be old news and we'll be back to a much more normal environment. That's good to hear because, uh, as you know, we migrated from the Seattle area to Boise, uh, one of the hottest markets in the country, obviously. And, and what concerns me is the flashback to pre-Great Recession, when I walk into a builder development and here's the waiting list, right? Or I talk to my neighbor who relocated from California two years ago, and they're thrilled because they doubled the value on the home they bought, right? And and I start hearing those things. And I guess it's just this involuntary twitch that I get that I'm like, oh no, oh no, you know, here we go again. You're telling me that's not the case. Yeah, I don't think uh, this one is not driven by speculation. This one is not driven by people buying uh, uh, buying in uh, second homes or investment homes. This is being driven by people buying a first home, but also it's being driven by supply demand. It is simply a supply demand function, not a speculative function. The last time we we had people uh, able to buy homes and speculate on homes, and uh, there was no, there was no credit or product control at all. Uh, that is still, you know, historically, credit and product uh, restrictions are as tight as they're close to as tight as they've been historically. So we don't have a speculative market. We have a market driven by the pandemic and the absence of new construction. That will correct. What you will see is you'll see home appreciation slow way down next year, uh, and for the next few years so it'll be it'll be pretty strong this year next year i think it'll be a quarter of what it is this year thanks to patrick stone founder and executive chairman of williston financial group and wfg national title for joining us on the insider report and thank you for partnering with wfg to learn more about our unique process systems and technology visit wfgagent.com And to gain access to cost-effective solutions for your agency, visit wfgblocks.com.